Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Songs of Christmas. For a few short weeks, the Songs of Christmas seem to unify the world. Whether they are pop songs, traditional carols, or sacred hymns, ultimately, the inspiration for Christmas songs is tied to the celebration of the birth of Christ. Join us as we look at some of the most loved, theologically rich, and sacred songs of Christmas as a starting point for seeing what God wants to teach us through Scripture this Christmas season. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. So how many of you have been listening to Christmas songs before Thanksgiving? Go ahead, raise your hands. Don't be shy. All right. How many of you were listening to Christmas songs before Halloween? Is there anybody? Oh, I see one. I see one. All right. Uh, how many of you have not started listening to Christmas songs? Yeah, there's a few of you. Bah humbug, huh? Yeah. Uh, how many of you would prefer to only listen to Christmas songs on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? Anybody want to venture that? All right, okay. Well, I, I ask that because it, it is interesting how um, Christmas is celebrated with songs. In fact, for a few short weeks, uh, you know, every year, songs of Christmas seem to unify a whole significant part of the world. And there are all kinds of Christmas songs. Maybe you like some of the classics like the Christmas song by Nat King Cole or White Christmas by Bing Cosby. Um, maybe you like some more of the, uh, the fun songs like the 12 Days of Christmas. Uh, maybe you like uh, the pop songs like uh, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Then there's some strange songs. Let's just be honest. You know, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I mean, that's bizarre. Um, then there's just some amazing sacred songs like Handel's Messiah, which tr- actually is not a Christmas, uh, um, it's not a cantata, I don't know what the right word is, but, but, it, but it's become associated with it. And then there are those, those hymns of Christmas, like, like Pat let us in this morning. And, uh, you know, those are all of the different genres, and I probably missed some, of how we, we celebrate Christmas. Now, as, as someone who grew up going to church all of my life, uh, singing those hymns every Christmas year, I, I have to tell you that, that, that at some point along the way, I began to become intrigued by some of the phrases in those Christmas hymns. And, and as I got older, I realized that those demonstrated the rich biblical theology that uh, are in all of those hymns that we sing at Christmas. And you know, honestly, we never stop to unpack those and see what they're quoting from the Bible. So this year, we're going to look at some of those scriptures that are referenced in some of our favorite Christmas hymns. Why? To deepen our faith and our understanding of what God has done when he sent his son to earth to be Emmanuel, God with us. Speaking of Emmanuel, I'm, I'm going to read that passage where we learn that he is the fulfillment of Emmanuel. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to be reading in Eugene Peterson's The, the Message version. You're going to see some of the verses on the screen, but not all of them. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they enjoyed their wedding night, Joseph discovered that she was pregnant 
It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph chagrined, but Noble determined to take care of things quietly so that Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. God's angel spoke in the dream, Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth, and when he does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus, meaning God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic revelation to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel, Hebrew, for God is with us. So that passage from the New Testament ends with that important piece of information. It tells us that Jesus fulfilled that ancient biblical prophecy that he was recognized as Emmanuel, which, as I've said, means God with us. And I'll, I'll just quote it to you from the New International Version from the prophet Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So here we have the story of how Jesus was born, and we're told that he was given this title of Emmanuel, which was a title reserved for the Messiah that Israel and the world longed to come and save them. Now, scholars who study the biblical prophecies about the Messiah will point out that Jesus fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies. And when you study those prophecies, you'll see that not only do you learn what Jesus fulfilled, you learn what it means for him to be our Messiah. Now, don't worry, we're not going to go over all 300, okay? Um, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of those that are spoken to specifically in one Christmas hymn today that really shows us that Jesus is the one that God sent, and he fulfilled those prophecies. Now, you may not have known this, but uh, for many of these uh, Christmas songs, over the centuries, they were used to teach people about who Jesus is. Uh, for instance, the one we're going to look at today, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it traces its roots back to 800 AD. It was probably written by a monk or a priest who had a deep knowledge uh, both the New and the Old Testament. And here's just a little history uh, about that song. It was originally written in Latin. Uh, and uh, as you uh, know, the first verse that we're so familiar with, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, starts with the word O. Uh, all of the verses did, and it came to be sung in a rather unique way in some Christian traditions. In fact, in the seven days leading up to Christmas, in those daily Vesper services, they would sing only one verse because there were seven verses, each one for each day as a, as a way to meditate on them. And, and all of those verses were important because they told people something significant about who Jesus is and what he fulfills as our Messiah. Now, you got to remember, too, that this was in a time when the majority, in fact, the overwhelming majority of the population was illiterate. 
They didn't read. Uh, the printing press had not been invented, so there weren't uh, books that were available to common people. You had to be very wealthy to own a book. You had to probably be even more wealthy to, to own not an entire Bible, but a portion of Scripture. But then, even if you owned it, a very small percentage of the population actually knew how to read. And so, these hymns at Christmas, as well as at other times, were actually used not only to worship God, but they also taught people about God and about Jesus. And this one particularly talked about both the birth of Jesus and about his return, his second coming. Now, before we dig into those biblical messianic prophecies, there's one more interesting tidbit of information about this hymn connected to the return of Christ. As I mentioned, each one of those verses starts with the word O, you know, one letter O, and it was originally written in Latin, and it actually uh, forms an acrostic. An acrostic is a, um, when you take either a poem or a hymn or some writing and you use the first letter of a word in successive verses or lines, to actually spell a word. So for instance, in this situation, it was, an, it was in Latin, it was an acrostic, and it spells out, if you drop the first O, the first word after that, the first letter, spells a Latin phrase. And I'll do my best to pronounce it. It's arrow cross, and it's translated as this. I will be with you tomorrow. That just gives me shivers. You know, that here was this hymn about the birth of Jesus Christ, but looking forward to the return of Christ. And, and they had embedded in it this acrostic that says, I will be with you tomorrow. Now, one author writes, uh, when we sing the lyrics of this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we're not only celebrating the birth of our Savior Jesus, but we're also preparing our hearts and growing in excitement for Jesus' return, which we may witness during our lifetime. So in a sense, each verse is helping us place our eyes on Jesus' return by remembering the first coming and anticipating, yearning, hoping, and aching for the second coming of Christ. Now, uh, with that in mind, uh, let me start with that, that signature verse uh, from the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And, and I want to give you seven things to think about this morning. First, Jesus is God with us. We've already established this. This hymn reminds us that he is Emmanuel, God with us. It goes, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. And then after each verse is that refrain, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Now, that verse reminds us about the history of Israel, that they were actually captured, that they were taken into captivity and they were taken into exile by the king of Babylon. They were actually captured and exported to that country and they longed to go back to their homecoming. These are the Israelites. And of course, God eventually rescued them and brought them home. But, you know, as it talks about that captivity in that verse it also reminds us that there's another kind of captivity that Israel and all of us face too. And it keeps us separate from God, and that is the captivity to sin. 
that, that we can be captured by sin and, and we can be separated from God and, and because our sin separates us from him and we end up being in a lonely, self-imposed exile because of our captivity to our own sinfulness. Now, in Jesus' own words, he actually said something about that because remember the verse says to ransom Israel. Jesus said this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, he's writing to a predominantly Jewish Christian audience, uh, and he hearkens back to their Jewish roots about to explain to them how Jesus died as a ransom to set them free from their sins, committed under the old covenant law. So they understood that. Now, we need to remember that, that Jesus came to pay that ransom for our sins that hold us captive, and we need to celebrate that he has done that. He's ransomed us from the captivity of sin. Now, that's not the only messianic title that shows up in this hymn. The, the next one is that Jesus is our wisdom from God. Now, the prophet Isaiah in, in chapter 11 writes about the Messiah saying this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now, these truths about Jesus are echoed and the second verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it says, O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. It's interesting. Jesus is the wisdom from on high. When the apostle James was writing to the early church about wisdom, he said there's two kinds of wisdom. You can look it up in James chapter 3. He says there is the wisdom that is demonic. It comes from the forces of evil. But then he says this, that there's another kind of wisdom. He says it's the wisdom that comes from heaven. And first of all, it's pure. Then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Jesus is the wisdom from Ohio. He is the wisdom that we desire, that we want, that we need to embrace. It's not wisdom about, hey, look at me and everything I know. It's about understanding who Jesus is and what he imparts to our lives. He is the wisdom from heaven who brings us that so that we can understand who he is and who God is and what he desires for us. And it only comes from listening to him through the Holy Spirit and through reading God's word and through following him in a relationship. He's our wisdom from on high. That verse in scripture that goes, excuse me, that verse in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that's the third verse, goes this, uh, talks about this, that Jesus is our mighty God. And in the hymn, we sing it this way. It says, O come, O come, great Lord of might, who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. You know, it's my hope that we all know that that Jesus is both our Savior, the one who saves us from our sins, but also that, that he's our Lord, that, that he's 
our leaders. So yes, thankfully he saved us from the punishment of our sins, but he came to be our Lord, the one that we follow, the one that we obey, the one we actually pledge our allegiance to. Now, our mighty Lord, he's all powerful, He's all present. He's all knowing. And, and in the third verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it recalls how Almighty God came to Israel on the top of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And, and when he came, he didn't appear like you and I appear to one another. He came in a cloud so that his glory would not uh, frighten or destroy people. And in that cloud of glory, if you read that in the book of Deuteronomy, and excuse me, in the book of Exodus, uh, you will see that he gave the Ten Commandments to Israel. And it's a picture of power and of majesty and of glory. Now, in the Old Testament law, we remember that that was the old covenant by which Israel had a relationship with God. And when Jesus came, he brought a new covenant. But the new covenant wasn't meant to replace the old covenant, but rather Jesus said he came to fulfill it. And it's interesting, in what happened on Mount Sinai, you see a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing of what is to come when Jesus returns. Look at how Jesus describes his second coming. He says, at that time, they will see the Son of Man. That's a messianic title. He's talking about himself. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So in a cloud and with power, just like what happened on Mount Sinai, Jesus will come again. Now, in the church calendar, this is actually not the Christmas season. I, I don't know if you know that. This is the Advent season. That's why we, we light an Advent wreath. We have candles that we light. Today is the second Sunday in Advent because it's a time that we prepare our hearts not just to celebrate the birth of Jesus, which we will celebrate on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but it's also a time when we, we look forward to when Jesus will return again. And, and we have to ask ourselves, Am I prepared? Am I prepared for his return? Am I prepared? Am, am I following him? Am I obedient to him? Am I faithful to him? And it's also a time when we share with others uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus so that they can know the same hope that we have. Jesus is called Almighty Lord, but he's also called this. Jesus is our root of Jesse. Verse 4 in the hymn brings this scriptural passage up. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory over the grave. Now, this title for the Messiah, the root of Jesse, needs a little bit of explaining. It's found in the Messianic prophecies of Isaiah, and it's quoted by the Apostle Paul also in the New Testament. This is what Isaiah writes in chapter 11. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Now, the words used here, stump, root, shoot, stem, they remind us of the idea of a tree. 
maybe a family tree, so to speak. Remember, Jesse was the father of King David, which Israel considers to be their very best king because he was the one who was described as having a heart for God. Now, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from the family tree of King David. That means also Jesse. But after David's monarchy ended, almost all of his successors, those from his own family tree and those not from his family tree, led Israel in both moral and spiritual decay. And so as as one scholar writes, the reduction of the Davidic dynasty to a mere stump is a true metaphor for its condition when Christ was born. Uh, for, through, for, for those still in existence, the dynasty had been without royal power for nearly 600 years. Now, if you're wondering why it's referred to as the stump of Jesse, who was David's father, uh, rather than being called the, the stump of David, that same scholar points out this, that the, the total absence of royal dignity in the house of David is why they don't mention David. They go back to his father. So it's important for us to remind ourselves that Jesus was often referred to by also another messianic term, the the son of David. And that's important that we understand that. And, And in the day of Isaiah's prophecy and hundreds of years later in Jesus' day, everyone expected the Messiah to be a son of David, to come from that messianic family line and save Israel from their enemies as a mighty military Messiah. But yet this Christmas hymn, as well as scripture, reminds us that as the root of Jesse, he came to save us from the depths of hell and to give us victory over the grave. Jesus came to do God's will, to save us for eternity, not to be a a general leading an army to defeat other nations, but to defeat the power of Satan and sin and death. Now, from the Messianic title that Jesus is the root of Jesus, let's go on to the next one. He's our key of David. Now, the, the key of David is a messianic reference that's found only twice in the Bible, but first it shows up again in the book of Isaiah where the prophet tells the palace secretary that he will be replaced and God will give his replacement something important. He'll give him the key of David. Now, think about that for a moment. Think about the significance of being the one who possesses the key. Generally speaking, the person who holds the keys has the authority, and in this case, the one who has the key of David would give one control of David's domain, of Jerusalem, of the city of David, of the kingdom of Israel. All right, so think that through. Now let's go to the next reference. It comes in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the last book in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, we read this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So that scripture tells us that Jesus holds the key of David, meaning he is the fulfillment of God's promise that the Messiah would come from the line of David and save us all. It it means that Jesus 
is the ruler of the new Jerusalem that Revelation talks about and that he's the Lord of the kingdom of heaven. Now, keeping that scripture in mind, let's look at the fifth verse of that Christmas hymn. O come, O key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode. And we'll go to the next messianic title. Jesus is our day spring. So in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we sing, O come, thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Now, I recognize that day spring is not a word we use anymore. It's from an older form of English, and it literally means the dawn or the morning. And to see it in Scripture, we actually have to, to look at an older translation version. So we'll look at the New King James translation. And the verse is about the messianic prophecy of Jesus that we hear in the Gospel of Luke, where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesies about the coming Messiah. This is what he says. Through the tender mercy of our God, which, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So this prophecy is saying that the Messiah is a new day for all of us, that, that as he comes, he comes as a light to guide our way in life and to save us from the darkness of death apart from God. And this echoes so many messianic prophecies where the Messiah is referred to as a great light for those living in darkness, or as Jesus said about himself, that he is the light of the world. We recognize that he brings light into our lives. The final prophecy that we'll look at uh, comes from that final verse of the song, and it talks about Jesus being our king. And the verse says this, O come, O king of nations bind, in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease, and be yourself our king of peace. That verse, in keeping with the translation of the original Latin, we know that Jesus holds the messianic title, King of Kings. As the Messiah, Jesus made it clear that he was the king. He also made it clear that his kingdom was not of this world. Remember when he was arrested and he came before Pontius Pilate, the ruler of that part of the world. And when he was questioned, he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. We know that Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that he will establish on earth when he returns. And the book of Revelation gives us that messianic title that Jesus himself embraced. And we see it in scripture where he refers to himself as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We know when our king of kings returns that all the world will bow and acknowledge that he is the king of kings, which will result in the world being united. And as the hymn says, envy, strife, and quarrels will cease, and the world will be filled with heaven's peace. 
We could use a little bit of that right now. So we've looked at these seven messianic titles and more about Jesus. And what should our response be to this? When we look at scripture and how it informs not only how we sing and worship, but how it informs our life, what should we do? I think we take our cue again from that Christmas hymn where we rejoice. We rejoice that in Jesus, God has come to be with us. And in our rejoicing, acknowledging that he is God with us, we believe in him and we follow him. And we seek to make him both our Savior and our Lord. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.